want a surgeon who just was rubber stamped along the way and never had to pass exactly. difficult exams? Do you want an accountant or a financial planner who never really had to think really, really hard about yeah. the, the law in very precise ways? We don't want those professionals caring yeah. for our bodies or our finances. <laughs> and so really um, with spiritual matters, it behooves the church to be very serious about who is getting into the pulpit. Welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. In each episode, we strive to apply Reformed theology to life and ministry in the 21st century. Thanks for joining us for this week's conversation. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I'm Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. Thank you for being patient in waiting in between episodes here to for us to release an episode of Reformed Podmatics. Um, it's been a few weeks, unfortunately. Um, I was on jury duty last week, and that was a big part of why we didn't record an episode. And I was not selected to the jury, but it was a fascinating time of civil uh civil service you might say for me and um hmm. uh and then really and other weeks too when things just just gotten kind of busy and the podcast has fallen a little bit behind in terms of uh <laughs> priority but uh we've got for example a new staff member here at Almond Valley uh, a new worship director and so uh we've been busy getting ready for for his arrival and that's an exciting time for our church and um Looks like things are really going to work out well. Uh, he's a great guy, and so that's kind of what's happening at our church. What's happening in your life lately, Zach? Any updates on? <laughs> well, where you're I, at? as listeners may know, my wife and I are still pregnant, and <laughs> so she is due really early April, late March, somewhere in there, right around Easter. Actually, March thirty first is Easter this year, so mm. our our son may be born right around then so that would be kind of exciting mm-hmm. uh and so yeah we just got back from our final little getaway trip to the coast this last weekend and so i'm sort of back in the swing of things today it's uh, wednesday and so i have a uh, youth group tonight and mm-hmm. yeah so we're just looking ahead to the future we have a busy several weeks ahead of us uh in our personal lives with different things going on as we get ready for uh, the birth of our son but uh, it's an exciting time as well. So, yeah, cool. There's lots to look forward to. Yeah, there is. Uh, you know, I've been listening to other podcasts, and they they put a little bit more of the personal touch than uh, than we sometimes <laughs> give in Reform Podmatics. So, uh, yeah. Uh, thanks, though. Uh, speaking of a personal touch, uh, to those who have reached out to us, yeah, um, over the last few weeks, we've heard lots of feedback from. Uh, previous episodes. Um, I even heard that there was some discussion in the Rippin' Christian staff uh, lounge hmm. about the podcast here. Interesting. So for those members, uh, <laughs> wonder what that was teachers about. <laughs> at Rippin' Christian were discussing the podcast, um, which is, thank you for listening, if that would maybe describe you. Um, but uh, for those far and wide who, who are tuning in, um, we hope that we could just continue offering um, some basic biblical understandings and, and uh, biblical support for, say, why things happen in a Christian Reformed church in a certain way, mm-hmm. or um, often responding to world events and, and cultural um, trends and so forth as well on the podcast. But today, we're going to focus a little bit more on something 
that's kind of particular to the Christian Reformed Church, and that is the matter of how we ordain new ministers. Hmm. Um, Not something that I ever would have thought about until I wanted to become a pastor myself, Um, but it is quite a process, and we're going to focus particularly on ordination exams. And so um, it might even surprise some people to know Hmm. that in order to become an ordained minister in the Christian Reformed Church of North America, you must um, sit before a a classis meeting. A classis is the regional group of churches, which usually range from about eight congregations. I think classis Arizona is only about eight or nine churches. Mm. um, To uh, We're one of the larger classes. We have about 25 churches from uh, Northern California, basically uh, the Bay Area, uh, and up up and down the valley, the Central Valley. So it's about 25 churches called each, Classis Central California. And each church sends three delegates, typically, yep. Yep. Uh, a deacon, an elder, and a pastor. Uh, some send less than that if they can't field all three. But uh, So if you can, if you do the math, that's you're, you're talking about 75 mm-hmm. or so people sitting in a room for a Classis meeting. Yeah, and we meet twice a year for Classis. Um, and... At just about all of our classes meetings, because we're a large classes, we will have an ordination exam. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty simple. It's kind of what you could imagine it being. Um, a few different pastors who are ordained are selected by um, a group of classes to ask questions to somebody who wants to be a minister in our classes um, of, a, of a church there. Um, the process, maybe we won't get too far into process questions, but... Um, mm-hmm. Somebody could be called, say, from the seminary. So somebody graduates from a seminary and a church connects with that person. Um, that person's going to come out to sort of uh, accept a call. And the first thing that's, that's going to happen um, in terms of their ordination is going to be coming before classes for this exam. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the, the exam consists of a sort of a personal practical section where questions about the person's faith are asked, um, their background, uh, how they will, will approach ministry, um, how they'll care for people pastorally. Um, so there's kind of a mix of personal and, and um, professional sorts yeah. of questions there. Yeah, and a lot of these questions are, depend on what kind of exam is, yeah. is happening. True. There's, true, true. there's several different kinds of exams. This would be interesting for someone who may not know much about this. The main exam, the sort of bread and butter exam, mm-hmm. is the minister of the word exam, or yeah. what, what we often will call with sort of technical technical language of the Article 6 exam. Yeah, that's like what uh, I have. Yeah. And so that is for what I jokingly refer to as the varsity pastors, <laughs> uh, which is the pastors who, once they are ordained as uh, Article 6 ministers of the word, they are officially pastors within the CRCNA mm-hmm. and can take calls anywhere in the denomination. Uh, whether, That's a one-time exam for the yeah. rest of our ministry, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that would differ from other exams. One other one would be the Article 8 exam, which is called the Colloquium Doctum, which is the exam of other ministers who have been previously ordained mm-hmm. in other uh, ecclesiastical bodies, other churches or other denominations that are now seeking, for whatever reason, ordination in the Christian Reformed Church. And so this is similar in the sense that this is a final exam. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you are ordained with the Article 8 uh, as a minister in the CRC, then you are effectively a minister of the Word. So it's on the same mm-hmm. par mm-hmm. Uh, 
the same playing field or level as the Article Six exam, but it happens not for students coming out of seminary, uh, going for their first time into ordained ministry, but for someone transferring, you might say, in from another denomination. Yeah, someone who's been a pastor for 15 mm-hmm. years in the mm-hmm. Presbyterian Church of America or something like that yep. would have that type of exam. It's really similar to the article. And so those exams will look very similar in substance, but they will also emphasize uh, why the mm-hmm. switch, why mm-hmm. are you seeking to come into the CRC, and then they will be more asked about their knowledge of the CRC, how the CRC works, the, the sort of theological tradition of the CRC, and so on. Uh, another exam would be the exam that I have had or have gone through, which would be called the uh, commissioned pastor position, mm-hmm. which is the Article 23 exam, which I jokingly refer to as the junior varsity pastor, <laughs> uh, because you're not ordained by the denomination in the sense that I, I could not take a call elsewhere in the CRC without uh, having to go through another examination, I would have to go through another exam, whether that was another Article 23 exam or if I went back to seminary and finished a few things. Uh, that's just sort of my own personal story. But Zach can do everything that I can do in our church. Yes, yeah. So I can do the sacraments here yeah. uh, and in, in our, our classes. classes actually. Yeah, I in can because yeah. I've done the sacraments in other churches sure, sure. Uh, when pastors are out during uh, the week that they do communion mm-hmm. or even baptism. I've, I've done one. Uh, and so one final exam beyond that would be uh, the licensure to, licensure to exhort, which is not really an ordination mm-hmm. exam. It's a sort of preparatory exam for typically it's given to students who are in seminary who are being given the opportunity to preach. And so those exams are a little bit it's it's quite a bit less yeah. heavy on the theological side. And one thing I forgot to mention is that for Article 23 exams, usually that person's being ordained to a particular uh, task or a particular ministry within the congregation that they're going to be serving in. Mm. And so the exam will really be geared towards that. So for exa- example, I was ordained as a youth pastor, which is still the sort of majority of what I do. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the questions were geared towards how I would disciple students in high school or middle school youth group. Yeah, one of the big examples of that too is a chaplain. And yeah. so someone who's who's becoming a chaplain um, but maybe doesn't have a Master of Divinity degree from Calvin mm-hmm. Seminary or maybe from any seminary, that would be like that Article 23, ordained um, for the purpose. And it, it does matter if somebody is ordained to be a chaplain for the, the government, you know, wants to see that um, mm-hmm. a minister is ordained. It's even a requirement, I think, in some... Yeah. prisons and hospitals and so forth to be ordained in a denomination right. but um it it realistically that 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 doesn't require say all the preaching classes all the language mm-hmm. classes and so forth and so it's understandable why that ordination would be um for that specific task yeah specific and, and one one quick thing to add to the, all of this if you're confused by our language of article this and article that yeah. <laughs> what we're referring to is the christian reformed church's church order, which can actually be Googled. You can look this up very quickly and find it, and you can see how our church sort of governs ourselves and how we sort of run things, different policies for how things are to take place in Mm -hmm. good order. And so, yeah, this is a great document. I I actually was talking about it this last weekend with my Sunday school class with the, Mm -hmm. the adults talking about how the, when the Christian Reformed Church first began in the Netherlands back in 1834. 
they adopted for themselves tentatively the church order of the of the synod of dort and how our church order is still built on this that's Mm. sort of the backbone of the christian reformed church's church order which is just sort of a clear explanation of how we're going to operate Mm -hmm. as a church so that everybody knows how things are going to be happening and so that's i think that's a cool thing to me a lot of people feel like with churches and denominations things kind of happen uh, behind closed doors and there's lots of secrecy and things are sacrosanct and mm. it's not for the the laity to know what's going on it's for the higher ups and those in power if anything i think the crc and many denominations that i do know try their best to actually reverse that that's part of our episode here is just to mm-hmm. give everybody a little bit of a window into what this process looks like to sort of demystify it perhaps uh, and also to have people think I, I think part of the fun of this episode will be for people listening to wonder aloud could i pass an ordination mm. exam mm-hmm. maybe you could and maybe you couldn't uh, yeah but, that's how i always think of the citizenship exam you know I, like you hear about yeah, somebody yeah. taking the citizenship exam and you know you're asked questions about the constitution and the civil war and World War Two and so mm-hmm, forth, and mm-hmm. American history. I always wonder, hey, could I uh, could I pass this? And um, <laughs> maybe some people would be wondering that in, in kind of a fun way. Could you pass an ordination exam in the Christian Reformed Church? Of course, it's a little bit of a facetious question to ask because not everyone, thankfully, mm-hmm. is called by God to be ministers. Mm-hmm. But uh, all of us have different gifts and abilities and. Um, personalities in the Christian Reformed Church and in every congregation. And so hmm. um, may, maybe setting the, the uh, sort of the scene for, for people, um, at a classist meeting, it generally happens in like a church social hall that's just about mm-hmm. maybe in a sanctuary, but that's not as common. And so you have tables and chairs set out, and at the front of the social hall would be a little table where the um, the candidate would sit with the examiner with microphones, and um, the examiner uh, first, like we said, begins with practical, personal questions, um, and everyone is listening, and um, all this is leading towards a vote. And so every delegate to classes, that's three delegates from each church, will vote on if this person should be ordained or not. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it's all leading towards, and um, it's a written vote. And um, the, the next part after the practical is a sermon evaluation. So two office bearers in the CRC were assigned beforehand to go and listen to this person preach a sermon. And of course, during COVID, that was all done with Zoom and, and, and all that. But um, mm-hmm. there's real encouragement to go there in person to kind of get the sense for how a mm-hmm. minister will lead a worship service and give special attention to the doctrine of the sermon that the, mm-hmm. that the candidate is preached has preached. And so that's section two. Yeah, and that person will usually read that evaluation. Uh, right. The right. person who went and, and heard the sermon in person. And everyone can, all the delegates have had access to the sermon manuscript and Correct. can ask questions of the candidate about their sermon. Usually there are no questions. Um, if anything, there would be, hey, why did you make this choice, this word choice here? Mm-hmm. Um or I really appreciated X, Y, or Z about your sermon and how reformed it was or something. Um, And so there's usually not a lot of comments or questions about the sermon. But then what is often the the longest part, in fact, the church order article 10 says, 
this needs to take at least 30 minutes, it's 30 minute minimum, Hmm. is the doctrinal or theological portion of the exam. And so that's really where you get into um, the nitty gritty, you might say, (laughs) of theological detail. And, um, you know, I always encourage people who are coming as delegates or maybe even just as uh, visitors to a classes meeting to uh, not not be too critical of getting really detailed in that moment, in that conversation. I think that um, when we are interviewing a profession of faith candidate, you know, mm-hmm. a ninth, uh, a freshman in high school, an eighth <laughs> grader, um, we want to know that they love Jesus and that, that they're going to be striving to follow Jesus, that they believe the Bible is true, mm-hmm. really quite basic questions yeah. about um, their walk with Christ and their understanding of the gospel. Um, then I would say a, a level up from that in terms of expectation would be um, a local office bearer, that, that this is somebody who needs to hold to the confessions of our church and mm-hmm. uh, promote and defend them. Um, and then um, I would say in terms of knowledge, up then a level from that will be a minister of the word. Um, mm-hmm. This isn't to say that that's a kind of value judgment on the different parts of a church, but in terms of knowledge... Yeah. Um, we should expect that any candidate presented to a classes is able to answer a very technical theological question because those are going to come up in our ministry. This isn't just um, abstract philosophical debate happening. Um, we will be asked, can you please explain the Trinity to me? And, um, and by young mm-hmm. people, for that matter, I've been asked that. Um, and, and we'll get into some of the questions that are asked, but they might seem a little technical to the maybe the average person, um, but a minister should be able to mm-hmm. sort through a lot of these things, right, even off the cuff without any preparation. Yeah, for sure. Because as you said, these things these things eventually come up one way or the other. And ministers shouldn't be those who shy away from these conversations. Yeah, we love they it. should be those who are honored by the questions mm-hmm. and also able to give an account, at least to begin uh, making sense to someone who is confused by something. This is something I, I remember looking back in my, my high school years, and I had a pastor who always kept his office door open, and I would actually go in. And my late high school and college years, I would often find myself early to church for youth group that I was helping serve at as a volunteer, and I had a biblical question in my mind that I wasn't quite sure how to figure out, and so I would often pop into Pastor Ed's office and <laughs> just ask him a question off the top of my head, always appreciating that he would give a thoughtful response, uh, and he often seemed to really know exactly, mm-hmm. if, even if it was a, a passage that was a little bit more obscure, he always knew what I was talking about and was able to to give a thoughtful response and then maybe encourage me to uh, with some resources for figuring that out if I wanted to go deeper. And so I just really appreciated having someone who knew the scriptures that well, uh, and that really helped m- my spiritual growth. And so as pastors, uh, this is a little part of the of the job, so to speak, uh, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an exciting part of our calling uh, that people want to grow. And so we can be a resource to them to help help them figure things out. And this happens a lot in youth ministry, kids with questions that are really shaking them or something that they saw on YouTube or on TikTok or whatever it may be that is causing them to ask questions and then being able to uh, talk with them about it, explain how what they saw uh, 
is only half the truth or, or I could think of different situations uh, where people, uh, students have found videos on YouTube uh, calling out the Bible and its contradictions. So then walking them through those con- mm-hmm. apparent contradictions and showing them how they actually are not contradictions, but it can be quite easily resolved and seeing able to see or being able to see how the, that has helped students actually trust the scriptures more. Yeah. Uh, that is an exciting thing. And so these kinds of questions are not just theological uh, sort of yeah, trivia. Trivia. This yeah. is real yeah. spiritual warfare happening here. And these questions are really important. Oh, I think it's so important to, that you mentioned that because there was a time from my understanding in the Christian Reformed Church where it was some of that trivia. Like, what is Q&A 40 of the catechism? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's trivia. Like, mm. um, realistically, if, if somebody really wanted to know what is Q&A 40 of the catechism, I have one right there on my shelf. I'll just go get it. And yeah, I don't yeah. need to, like, flex my theological muscle to you by, by saying that I memorized that or mm-hmm. something. But um, we don't want the pendulum to swing to the other side either where ministers don't even really know the structure of the catechism or why it was written or, yeah. um, um, you know, even the, the basic question and answer too of the catechism that it's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, how do we live and die in the joy of this comfort that we hear about in question one? We know how great our sin and misery are. Mm-hmm. We know how we're set free from our, our misery in Christ. And then we know how we're, or we learn from the catechism and from the word of God, how we ought to thank God for such deliverance. And so, yeah, a, a Christian or foreign minister should have that memorized and should should be yeah. able to take someone through the catechism, um, even just, you know, extemporaneously, mm-hmm. <laughs> just sort of off the cuff. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really what the exam seeks to to find out about a candidate. Um, but let's sort of get into some of the meat here. Let's talk about some of the questions that we've heard or um, appreciated during these exams, and our listeners can have a, a fun time maybe testing their own theological knowledge here. <laughs> what do you think, Zach? What are some of your favorite questions? Yeah, so uh, there's there's all kinds of questions. Like one could be, how would you explain the whole Bible to mm-hmm. someone who was asking for, uh, for, for an explanation of it and mm-hmm. for a sort of summary of the scripture? Uh, and so uh, maybe a, a related question to that could be, uh, what is the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament? These yeah. are c- kinds of simple questions, but can really get into uh, some interesting details, and it allows you to see what someone thinks, not only of what the Scriptures teach, uh, but what the Scriptures are, and how it all fits together in telling a, the same story uh, mm-hmm. the, of, of Christ and his redemption. Uh, so that would be like a sort of 30,000-foot view question uh, then you can get into more more detailed questions uh, like one that, that comes to mind for me is what is the reformed view of the sacraments and compare it and contrast it with lutheran roman catholic or anabaptist views uh, that would be that's a little bit more of a minutia question not that it's unimportant but it's really zooming in on on one thing mm-hmm. um, and that would be a good question i think for an article 23 or for an article 6 exam um it's not maybe the most technical question, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it's it's a question that maybe <clears throat> uh, a, a licensure to exhort candidate may not mm-hmm. really know the answer to, mm-hmm. uh, but it should be something that somebody coming out of seminary or wanting to be in pastoral ministry in one way or another should know. They should be able to articulate 
the difference between the Reformed view of the sacraments and the Lutheran and Catholic and Anabaptist views? Yeah, I like um, I like those questions that will are going to really bring out someone's heart or what they say love about Scripture or hmm. um, instead of just getting yeah. to um, you know. I think I've said it, maybe it was an episode a long, long time ago, that it sometimes it can feel like these ordination exams are about saying the buzzwords. Mm-hmm. And if you say sovereignty and covenant, <laughs> you must be reformed. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, Methodists and Roman Catholics believe in sovereignty and God's mm-hmm. covenants and, and so forth too. And so mm-hmm. uh, saying the right buzzwords, well, those words are important to hear in an exam, but that's right. less important to me than um, th- does this person have um, what I would say a reformed awe of God, hmm. the glory of God. Um, and so I, I really love when questions bring out um, what do you love about the scriptures? Hmm. You know, so instead of just saying um, talk about the inspiration of scripture and, yeah. and our doctrine of the inspiration of scripture, you know, I want to hear that somebody trembles at the word of God. Mm-hmm. And so that that comes through hopefully in their yeah. theology of scripture, but just that the, the word of God is living and active and it really is sharper than a two-edged sword. And I've seen that in my life and mm-hmm. and how, um, you know, it, it divides between, you know, all of these different issues and it cuts so straight and it's so helpful. And so that that's what I, I love to hear a little bit more of that, um, Logic on fire, you might say, yeah. what, uh, what Martin Lloyd-Jones would probably call a good exam. But um, yeah, I, so like along those lines, um, instead of simply asking, um, what are some of your personal disi- spiritual disciplines you know, that you practice, I'm a little bit more mm-hmm. interested to know, what do you pray about? Hmm. Um, what do you, what do you, what makes you excited to be a minister when you wake yeah. up in the morning? You know, um, because, you know, Zach and I know like there's there's some days we don't get to our Bible reading or we don't pray as much maybe as we should have um, and and um, you you know if we're if we're sitting in front of 75 people uh, want to present our best face forward and uh, <laughs> our best foot forward we, I, I'm not saying that somebody would lie about that but I I, I do think that hmm. what do you pray about does get a little bit more to the substance or yeah. what, what are you excited about in being a minister um, kind of gets around some of those defenses of just, you know, a, a person saying, well, I pray every day and I fast occasionally and, you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's kind of where I like to go with the practicum side. But anyways, what, yeah. what are you going to add to that? So there's the practicum side, yeah. your sort of, sort of heart positions. One yeah. question I like to ask uh as somebody who's been a, a delegate, I've never been, never given an ordination exam, although I will be soon, actually. Uh, but I like to ask, stand up and ask, who do you like to read? Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> Which Love is it. actually, it's a really it's easy question. It should be at least, but it really begins to expose this person's loves. It's a similar question for, for seeing their heart. Yeah. Uh, and so... Uh, I've seen people struggle with this one and not really sure how to give an answer, but it also exposes, I think one of the things in the CRC is that there's different kinds of approaches to what it means to be reformed. There's different explanations to, to be a pastor, what it means to be a pastor or to be reformed. <laughs> yeah. And so seeing someone's favorite authors is yeah. a 
pretty good snapshot in seeing their thought life and what they strive to be, what they uh, seek to emulate, uh, what what moves them, what what author moves you the most. Mm-hmm. I can think of of authors that have moved me over the years that have deeply affected the way that I think. Uh, J.I. Packer or even John Piper, who I don't read too regularly nowadays, but early on, Desiring God, that mm-hmm. book still shapes so profoundly how I think that that I should be Christ-centered. I should love Christ above all things, and he should be my joy and my passion and, and nothing else. Uh, those kinds of books are Herman Bovink's mm-hmm. uh, Dogmatics is my favorite systematic th- th- to turn to when I need something to reference, when I'm, when I'm maybe stuck on a big philosophical or theological question. Uh, that's where I turn because I really trust Bovink. And I think when I've, when I've read him, I've always been so, sh- so shocked and mm-hmm. just, just awake to the glory of God. Uh, and alive to what the scriptures say. And it, it's a really exciting book for that reason. Or I really love to read John Nevin on the sacraments. I think he he nails the sacraments and sort of the importance of, of Christ's incarnation. And I, I really appreciate that. And so that's a book I am passionate about. Uh, and those kinds of authors have, have shaped me and changed me. And so I want to hear that from, from others. Or they may say different authors that mm-hmm. I either maybe don't like, or maybe I just don't know so well, yep. but that is a huge answer in so many ways. It help, helps me to understand where they're coming from. Uh, if somebody says their their favorite author is, uh, I don't know, Brueggemann or... N.T. Wright is a big N- one. N.T. Wright would yeah. be really big yeah. today. And that can mean different things for yep. different people, but usually it, it, it means things that would perk my ears up a little bit and make me want to know more. Uh, yeah, along things I mean, like that. Just uh, riffing on that too. I, um, it's our job, not just as the examiner, but as people in the um, the, the full classes meeting. We will, we do have a chance to ask a question. And so, if, if somebody says, "I, I am just sold on NT Wright, man. I mean, I can't mm-hmm. get enough of NT Wright," I, I'm going to ask probably from the floor. Um, we'll talk about the personal nature of Christian salvation. Because that's something that I actually don't read very much in mm-hmm. N.T. Wright. He talks a lot about the cosmic consequences of the yeah. resurrection of Christ and mm-hmm. the kingdom of God and uses a lot of wonderful and true language about what yeah. Christ accomplished in his death and resurrection. But N.T. Wright doesn't talk nearly enough, in my view, about the personal following of Jesus. That is mm-hmm. the, a personal you know, regeneration by the Spirit. That, yeah. that is such a theme in the book of John, for mm-hmm. example. And so talk about that. You know, just like, like I, I, it's yeah. our job as ministers to decode a little bit sometimes mm-hmm. some of those answers that have been given, not in kind of an accusatory way, because maybe what somebody loves about N.T. Wright, I love Surprised by Hope, by yeah, his right. book. It, it's overall, it's super helpful, especially in um, combating... Um, premillennial dispensationalism and so yeah, forth, some of those yeah. things. Um, and so maybe that's what they love about it. Hey, great, let's mm-hmm. move on. He has great devotionals and so forth on yeah. um, uh, various books of the Bible. Maybe that's what they love and that's great. Mm-hmm. But maybe what they mean when they say they love N.T. Wright is kind of an overreaction against evangelical mm-hmm. um, conversionism, yeah. which actually is, to me, one of N.T. Wright's errors, is an overcorrection from 
individualistic evangelicalism. Yeah, and so I don't want to get us to get too caught up on <laughs> yeah. N.T. Wright. I can yeah, already right. imagine some people writing in, "Oh no, you talked about N.T. Wright," right. and they're, now they're going to be they're going to be angry or upset. Maybe or whatever. we're wrong about but it. Maybe the, you could show us some the, of those. The passages. point is clear. Just <laughs> if somebody mentions a name like N.T. Wright, that yeah. actually means a lot yep. about uh, the way that they think yep. and where they're at theologically. Um, and so, yeah, if. Or Kuiper would be another if great Kuiper, example. yeah, example. That, that can mean a lot yeah. of things yeah. um, when someone mentions his name. Yeah. Uh, or, Piper. If, yeah, yeah, Piper. Yeah. If somebody mentions MacArthur, that means yep. a lot. Yep. Uh, these, those sorts of things are, are, are really interesting. I, I think it's also important to ask um, ethical questions. We live at a time where sexual ethics is really huge, mm. so I don't think that that's something that can be shied away from i think to shy away from that is to uh is i don't know a sign of weakness on the side of the uh of the examiner especially Mm -hmm. if it's an article six or if it's an article eight exam uh, for ministers of the word or for colloquium doctums but it's i think also for article 23 exams that's really important but but i would also maybe ask questions about the future of ministry uh, in our world and questions that would get at uh, how the candidate seeks to approach ministry in a, uh, in a time and place where Christianity is uh, sort of uh, decreasing, (laughs) you could say in In in, the Western world, in the Western world. And it's becoming uh, harder to not only be a Christian, but harder to, uh, harder to evangelize in many ways without being shut down. So how can we evangelize? How can we, uh, how can the church continue to grow? How can we reach the next generation? Those kinds of questions looking ahead to the future are, are questions that I'm interested too. So it's not yeah, so much yeah. um, ethics questions, but questions about ministry and what ministry Ethics in the fullest sense. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. It's it's, yeah. it's ethics in that sense. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, if you look at you can you can go online if anybody's wondering actually and see you can just look up example questions of ordination <laughs> ordination exams and you can find all kinds of these kinds of questions that that go way deeper and there's usually some ethical questions and they all have to do with the Ten Commandments and uh, yeah that that those are great kinds of questions to ask we sh- we should realize that or- orthodoxy is not just about uh, our theology it's not just about our knowledge of god's mm. word but it's also about our orthopraxy our yep. knowledge of morality and how to live in god's world and so exams should take into account those kinds of things but we should also be trying to think about how the future can the future minister uh, will work and serve uh, the the Church of Christ into the next generation, and so that is at the forefront of my mind when I think of ordination exams as well. Yeah, a uh, a gold standard question in my mind is kind of a mix of practical and theological. Hmm. And hmm. so, um, you know, you talk about how how should how are you going to be a pastor? Well, that's yeah. a theological question, really, at yeah. its core. What Absolutely. is a pastor supposed to be according to the Bible and mm-hmm. according to Christian history? Um, according to Reformed teaching, what is the role yeah. of a pastor is to proclaim the Word of God and to have a teaching ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- that's not just a practical question. Hmm. Um, obviously, it has all kinds of practical um, repercussions, but really, ultimately, it, it's it's based on um, 
a theological conviction that God's word changes lives. Yeah. And and um, we, there's been some confusion in the Christian Reformed Church even about that matter where, um, well, um, some pastors leaning more in a community builder kind of orientation, which we need in God's kingdom is people mm-hmm. who are going to start nonprofits that... Hmm. Um, that help to clothe and feed the poor and, and yeah. build community and so forth. But um, the main task of a, a minister is to proclaim, is to study the Bible and, and to preach the word of God. And so all of that is, is it's, it's to me in that sweet spot of practical and theological at the mm-hmm. same time. Um, maybe one of my final thoughts too here is um, in my voting on to give a... Mm a delegate the, or a candidate the thumbs up or the thumbs down. It, to me, um, I want to see that somebody loves this conversation. Yeah. Um, and that's pastoral work because um, that's what we do, right? That's why we started a podcast. We love these conversations. We're <laughs> yeah. pastors. Um, we were having them anyways before we started recording them 140-some yeah. episodes ago. And <laughs> Um, that's just what we do because we love God's word and we love the truth and we love Christ and we're yeah. finding each other, Zach and I, and we, we wanted to kind of share that with um, the world, I guess, for, for better or for worse, um, on the <laughs> yeah. podcast. And, um, and we love it because we're pastors. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I have occasionally seen those conversations mm-hmm. where people are not too keen to mm-hmm. dig into um, the Athanasian Creed or, um, you know, the mm-hmm. Council of Chalcedon or uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, the teaching of the Belgic Confession. And, and it's um, not just a neutral thing that they have to kind of get through, but it's almost uh, an inconvenience or, mm-hmm. or uh, regarded as kind of a negative thing. And, mm-hmm. and, to me, um, how do you how do I quantify that? It's kind of difficult to quantify yeah. that, but um, I always hope to hear a candidate who just wants to, you know is excited to be there to share about mm. what God did mm-hmm. in the world and in their life. Yeah, um, you know, I, maybe one thing that we could improve on certainly in the Christian Reformed Church is following up on these ordination exams because mm. it's often the case that somebody passes their exam thirty, forty. 50 years ago and starts to move in a very different direction um, in terms of their theology. And, and that's still the, mm-hmm. the mood that I would look for in a conversation with that sort of pastor. If, um, this happened recently where I had a conversation with a pastor and, um, and he was very put off by even being asked doctrinal questions. How dare you question mm-hmm. you know, something that, that I've written or, or said? That is not hmm. acceptable for an ordained minister to have that kind of attitude. Um, let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. W- what did I say? D- let's let's understand um, maybe what I meant by that. Maybe I didn't say it as well as I should hmm. have. But let's get to the bottom of what what God's truth is and what we teach as Reformed pastors. And it, it's hmm. really accepting and welcoming this conversation and even the exam because we need to be refined and we need to grow in truth and. Um, that that's always a, a real concern for me is when people talk yeah. negatively about the process or about sitting in front of, um, of of this group because then you almost have a negative view of mm. of ministry itself. I would almost say. Yeah, I think that leads into my final thought really well. It dovetails well because I want us to close by thinking: Why do we need ordination yeah. exams? Uh, 
ordination exams, I think, are the, one of the most significant ways that uh, the flock of Christ is protected from either false uh, shepherds or from unqualified shepherds. Yeah. And that's often, an important distinction. <laughs> often, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, often I think it's just approached, these exams are approached by delegates. This is my sort of anecdotal uh, observation, maybe accusation of a sort, is that these are approached too lightly. Uh, just that, well, this, this person's already been, they've already finished seminary. Uh, they've already been sort of installed or started working at this church. And I don't want to stop that or end that. And so they seemed okay. I had issues with their theology, but who am I to judge? I'm not, I don't want to make things inconvenient. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to vote yes for them just because, you know, their church loves them and yeah. They must be here for a reason up in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. Long process. Yeah. And I think in our classes, we've realized that, that we've just gotten maybe a little bit too passive in these ordination exams, and there's been a need for uh, for us to take them more seriously on all sides, on the part of the examiner, the part of the candidate, and the part of the delegate uh, who's sitting there listening and, and thinking through the exam as it's happening. Uh, this is a way of protecting the church, uh, but it's also a way of blessing those who are being examined mm, yeah. uh, by seeing where they stand, seeing whether they are ready and, and called to this truly, or whether there's, uh, there's issues in their theology that they need to uh, rethink or repent of, or that there's just, there may be just be places where they need to grow and to con- con- continue studying. Yeah. Kind of refinement uh, needs to happen over time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I remember thinking, so my exam was an interesting one in our classes because yeah. It was a day where there was five commissioned pastor exams happening. And so at the time, the classes ministerial leadership team or the CMLT, which I'm now on, uh, at the time I wasn't. Obviously, I wasn't ordained yet. They, they made the decision to, in order to simplify and streamline the classes meeting that day, that they would do these five exams all at once. Mm-hmm. In uh, different rooms. In different rooms. Yeah. And so if, instead of being examined in front of the whole delegation at classes, you were only examined by a small portion of it. And it was whoever chose to come and see your exam. And they also sped the exams up. I think my exam was maybe 25 minutes. Mm. Uh, And (laughs) it was just sort of, uh, I look back and I think I was almost done a disservice by how simple and easy it was. Mm. Uh, Well, I wish your exam would have been in front of the whole classes because you crushed it. And I would have (laughs) loved to see the whole classes encouraged by the answers that you gave. I mean, that's the other side of it from my perspective is you did awesome. And could have blessed the whole classes, but it was only a fifth of the classes instead that got yeah. her answers. I, I almost went, I remember thinking when it was over, wait, it's already over? <laughs> that was it? Uh, I don't think I'd seen too many. I think I had seen one Article 6 exam prior to being uh, examined mm-hmm. myself. That was at the previous classes, my first classes that I attended. Uh, and so I remember kind of being let down and feeling like, you know, if this if this was a more grueling process and I had gotten through it, I would feel a little bit more confident and mm. equipped and and thankful to the Lord uh, for this whole experience. But it just felt too simple to me, 
And so I think these exams are a way of, of helping and encouraging candidates for ministry. And so there's all sorts of blessings that come from these exams. Yes, I think even dele- delegates learn that the, the pastors and the elders and the deacons who are in attendance, they can themselves learn things. Uh, often the most interesting conversations that happen on the way home from classes <laughs> meetings with elders or deacons is just about the exams and yeah. how they went. And it's interesting to see how the exams sometimes stretch uh, these lay office bearers mm-hmm. uh, and their understanding of scripture and of theology yeah, and they're learning Christian the practice. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, yeah. And so these, these exams are really important. They're in, in, in my mind, my favorite part of going to, to classes meetings, uh, but they are really important and yeah. we should at times be able to register a no vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be willing and courageous enough to do that. Uh, even if it may feel inconvenient or you're making things harder on, on people and on churches. Uh, yeah, and it I doesn't think, mean the person isn't a Christian. Right, it doesn't mean right. the person isn't called to ministry eventually, but just right now, yeah. it, it would not be best for this individual to be shepherding a church through preaching ministry and the sacraments. Yeah, or else yeah. we we make too light of the whole ordination exam process to begin with. If it's a shoe-in, if it's just a, a rubber stamping of things, then why are we even doing it to begin with? Uh, there should be a no-vote possibility, uh, and I think any delegate who's listening to this or future delegate should re- be reminded that your no vote may actually go a long way in serving the kingdom of God, just as your yes vote may. And so take those votes seriously and be courageous and stand firm uh, on the word of God as you go into those exams and listen and, and make decisions. Yeah. Do you want a surgeon who just was rubber stamped along the way and never had to pass difficult exams? Do you want an accountant or a financial planner who never really had to think really, really hard about yeah. the, the law in very precise ways. We don't want those professionals caring yeah. for our bodies or our, our, our uh, checking accounts, yeah. our finances. And so really, you know, um, with spiritual matters, um, it, it, it behooves the church right. to, uh, to be very serious about who is getting into the pulpit. We're not saying we're perfect at no. all. There's um, questions I hear that I struggle with thinking, how absolutely. would I answer that? Yeah, and and there are complicated things that come up that we need to have. We need that grounding of Scripture, that overall sense of the Word of God with, of course, Scriptures that come to mind to, to support our overall sense, but mm-hmm. need to answer questions for people who are struggling in an instant. I mean, tragedies are going to happen, sadly, in our churches, and they're going to have the the question of the problem of evil. Yeah. When, like, and you need to know the answer and you've got 10 minutes to sort mm-hmm. of think about this or why did, why did grandpa pass away so suddenly? He was such a good man and what can we hold on to now? Mm-hmm. Um, what does the Canons of Dort say about an infant who dies? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those things you've got to know that you can't sort of be just grasping for in yeah. the moment, that people need something solid to stand on and to believe in. And that's the work of a minister. And so um, it's, uh, it's so important that, that somebody is prepared on day one, um, and not just that they sort of ease yeah. into the role over time. And uh, that's why these examinations are so important. So 
Um, I think we've kind of covered it today, Zach. Any final yeah. thoughts? No, I think that's it. I think that's a pretty great overview and hopefully helpful for anyone who's going to be an examiner or a delegate or a candidate at some point in the future. Cool. Yep. And thanks for listening. We will do our level best to get an episode out <laughs> next week as yeah, well. Back and on schedule. Get back to a weekly routine here. But we're thankful for, for uh, support and, and emails yes. and, and feedback. Thanks for listening to Reform Podmatics this week. Have a great week. All right. Grace and peace, you guys.